Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Golden from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Market Strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So, Emerging markets are subject at the moment to a slightly noisy near-term market uh, with a range of drivers uh, which we are seeing. We have front-end U.S. rates, uh, which have been rising quite significantly in the last few weeks. We obviously have an ongoing uh, debt ceiling-related uncertainty. We have some inconsistent weakening in global economic activity data outside the US in particular. Uh, And overall markets have struggled a bit for direction. Uh, For us in emerging markets, that's meant uh, generally EM credit has been range bound in spreads. Um, Currencies have given back a little bit uh, against the dollar, uh, but not against the euro. And in general, this is all coming against uh, a backdrop uh, this year of uh, outperformance in uh, local markets and some divergence, which isn't often the case between uh, emerging market local and hard currency. So we thought we'd really try and focus in on that uh, following on from last week's discussion. Uh, So Saad, let's really start with just a recap for those who haven't been following on what's been going on so far this year um, with both emerging market Uh, local returns, and we're talking there about bonds denominated in local currency and FX, and that compared to the hard currency returns of of EM as well. So that's right. Uh, If you look at returns of EM, uh, local currency bonds, uh, so far, year to date, it's been around 5%. Uh, You compare that to the returns on sovereign uh, dollar-denominated credit, it's been about 1%. Uh, you look at corporate uh, credit returns in dollars in EM, that's been around uh, 2%. Uh, so it's uh, very visible that we have had a decent outperformance of EM local markets uh, so far this year. That really began at uh, the tail end of last year, um, you know, from October, November onwards. Uh, but the trend has really carried through uh, pretty uh, pretty consistently since then. Uh, and if anything, more recently, in the last couple of months, it has, uh, last three months really, it's um, further accelerated uh, that outperformance because everything was rallying uh, at the end of last year, early this year. Uh, but once things calm down after the SVB stresses, uh, we've seen EM Local continue to do quite well. And, you know, in terms of just giving a number on it, uh, uh, if we think about just broad hard currency, local currency, what kind of outperformance have we seen uh, recently in local? And is that something that is medium or, or, or normal or high historically? So just over the last three months, it's been a... 4% outperformance. As I mentioned earlier, year to date, uh, it's been um, you know, roughly uh, along uh, the, same, uh, the same line. So really the outperformance we're talking about is a short term one that's taken place over the last three months. And it's actually uh, true both on the FX side and your local bond side, because as we know, in, in local markets, you have returned from your currency exposure and also your, uh, your bond exposure. 
Um, in terms of how contextualizing this, uh, it's uh, it's high, but it's not historically extreme uh, by any means. You know, we've had a higher uh, outperformance of EM local markets uh, in the past, uh, but definitely 4% is not a insignificant outperformance either. Got it. And have we seen any um, reaction in terms of the way investors are positioning or flows reacting or in line with those kinds of local and hard currency divergences? I think we need to contextualize uh, investor preferences and flows with the stage of the cycle that we're in and also the state of risk appetite for riskier assets more broadly. So we know that there has been you know, a preference for investors to go into money markets, for example, in the US and dollar cash uh, gives you a pretty reasonable uh, return as well. So within that context, you know, the flows coming into EM uh, fixed income overall have been uh, quite subdued. Now, if you carve it up between the flows going into hard currency versus uh, local currency funds, uh, we can see that uh, hard currency funds have seen uh, continued uh, and intense outflows uh, through the year. It's been a little bit better for EM local currency. So there's a very modest, uh, small inflow coming into EM local currency funds. Um, so you know, investors in some sense are displaying a relative preference in that they're taking money out of the hard currency funds and uh, you know, not really taking the money out of local currency funds, but we can't really say that we're seeing uh, a big kind of inflow coming in. Uh, looking at another uh, way to, uh, to gauge what, where investor positioning is, uh, JP Morgan's client survey, which looks at the behavior of asset managers who are uh, dedicated to EM uh, fixed income, they've been uh, increasing their positioning scores uh, in EM FX and rates. Uh, since uh, last year, uh, why, whereas uh, positioning in EM credit uh, has, um, uh, is pretty much back at the same uh, levels uh, that it was, um, uh, you know, kind of late last year as well. Uh, so what that's telling us is that the investors who are already allocated to emerging markets, they are, um, you know, allocating or tilting um, their positions towards local markets. But we're not getting new money coming in uh, to the asset class as a result of these uh, the kind of outperformance over the last few months. But switching gears there, Johnny, if we um, focus so far on the relative asset class performance, uh, but what do you think has been uh, driving that uh, underneath the hood? Yeah, so if we start, uh, I'll, I'll talk a bit about the sovereign credit side of things. I think that Really, what we're seeing is uh, an underperformance of the high yield part of the market. And if we split our EM sovereign index into investment grade and high yield bucket, um, we've talked about this before. Generally, everything sold off with the US banking stress that we saw. And then subsequent to that, uh, the investment grade part of the market basically has rallied back to close to where it was before any of that happened, whereas the high yield portion has remained close to the year to date wide. So overall, it has made EM 
sovereign credit index underperform but really it's when you decompose it it's really looking at the the high yield part of the market they have a disproportionate impact on the the spread of the overall index and that's really uh what's caused the the underperformance it looks like on the sovereign credit side so when you talk about uh, the high yield uh underperformance is that about the distressed bucket that we've discussed before those countries that have either already defaulted uh, or the special situations that uh, are kind of near default? Yeah, so actually, as opposed to last year, it's really not about the very distressed part of the asset class. Last year, the triple C rated credit really caused the, the underperformance of the index overall. In fact, if you take that out last year, credit spreads actually tightened for EM sovereigns. It was really about that really distressed portion of the market. This year, that that bit of the market has seen the best year-to-date performance. So after having underperformed last year, it's actually been performing better this year. What's driven it recently, this high-yield underperformance, is not about the very, very distressed. It's about single B-rated uh, credit, which has really had um, the worst performance. Everything else has actually been slightly positive within uh, ratings buckets. And so really what's driving that is almost uh, the market now thinking about the next layer of countries which may get into debt distress. So frontier markets where uh, the market's really been demanding this higher risk premium um, given ongoing uh, issues in accessing markets and macro imbalances, etc. Uh, it's really been concentrated in that uh, single B rated. Uh, actually, for us, in our strategy, we've often been looking in the very distress, that triple C for opportunities, where we think markets may be oversold in parts. Um, but I think we also need to be a, you know, quite dynamic around the next tier of countries uh, where markets can obviously reprice their chances. Um, so that's on the hard currency side, but let's talk about local markets on the other side. What's driven that outperformance there? In local markets, it's almost a mirror image of what you've just described in hard currency. So while in hard currency, the high yielders have been underperforming, in local markets, it's been the high yielders that have been the star performers. Uh, we talked about this last week. If you look at returns year to date across different markets uh, against the yield, uh, then you get a very strong relationship. So higher yield equals higher return in local so far this year. So the best performing market is Colombia, a high yielder. Um, the second best performing is Hungary, another high yielder. Then you've got Brazil, uh, Mexico, and some of the other Latin American markets. So by and large, the high yielders, those countries with high policy rates, with high bond yields, are those in Latin America. So Latin America is what uh, is the region that's driving uh, most of the returns. Within CEMEA, you only really have one high yielder. And by high yielder, I mean where the policy rate is in double digits, and that's Hungary, and that's given pretty strong returns. Uh, but if you look at Asia, for example, the returns have been uh, far lower. You know, So Asia's uh, total return in dollar terms uh, on local currency has been about 2.5%, uh, Latin America over 10%. So big differential within uh, local markets uh, with the high yielders outperforming. So we've both just spent a bit of time outlining these differences. Is it 
this local versus hard currency that we talk about, is that really then just about a different set of composition, Frontier, LATAM, and, and things like that? Yes, yeah, so uh, it's uh, an obvious question to ask because the hard currency sovereign debt index has far more issuers in it than the local currency index. So is this just because you've got different countries, different markets in these two indices? But when we even normalize uh, for composition, so you take the same set of countries that are in both the local currency index, the GBIEM, and in the MB, Global Diversified, uh, you find that um, uh, you still see the outperformance in local markets. So the FX uh, total return uh, is uh, effectively outperforming what you uh, get in credit spreads on the hard currency side. Okay, so it seems like it, it's a real thing going on. But let's try and maybe give some longer term context to that. Uh, you know, this feels like a bit of a reversal of what has really been a long trend in the other direction. So could you maybe describe a bit about fundamentally what's been driving those bigger trends between uh, FX and, and credit markets? So I think there is uh, some structural factors going on here. Uh, and you know, you're right to point out that over the last decade, we've seen that hard currency sovereign credit has consistently outperformed local currency. In large part, that was because for the last decade, we had EM currencies uh, on a trend weaker. That trend weaker was in part uh, the flip side of the bull run that the dollar had over the last decade, a historically large bull run for the dollar. But also uh, EM policymakers uh, now, at least for the major markets in the GBIEM index, their approach to macro management is very different from what it used to be historically going back to the 90s or early 2000s. Uh, and that's uh, due to two factors. One is uh, they are much more willing to allow their currencies to depreciate. So you've got flexible exchange rate regimes. And a flexible exchange rate regime means that when you're hit by a shock, either terms of trade, commodities prices going down or something idiosyncratic happens, uh, they are much more comfortable allowing their currencies to depreciate rather than spending scarce FX reserves to peg uh, currencies. And what, what's that, uh, what that has done is it's transferred the risk in a way away from credit risk towards FX risk, whereas historically what would have happened is, uh, and we still have, we see that in frontier markets where uh, central banks are running down FX reserves to keep their currency stable and currency returns, at least for a while, look good. Uh, but it's the creditors, the the foreign creditors in dollars uh, who take the risk and, and uh, credit weakens. Um, and what's really allowed central banks to be more comfortable uh, with weakening currencies is, uh, is the fact that uh, over the last uh, 10 years or more, we've seen a big uh, substitution out of countries issuing uh, in local currency, whereas previously they would issue more in in dollars or in hard currency. So not having dollar liabilities makes it easier to let the currencies depreciate. So that's what was happening over the past decade. And that's what resulted in the big underperformance of, of FX versus credit. I think now we're seeing a bit of the opposite happen in part because you've got such high carry, um, you know, the external balances uh, for the most part uh, for these major countries don't really look 
very um, extreme or stretched either. Uh, and that's allowing uh, the currencies uh, to really diverge from what's happening uh, in credit. But looking ahead, uh, thinking about flows, you know, so this is something we discussed uh, a little bit earlier that we haven't had inflows coming in to local currency, uh, despite the better performance. Some of that could be cyclical, but what do you think it's going to take, Johnny, to get more inflows and more investor interest coming into local currencies, given it seems like maybe the worst of the shocks of the last decade might be behind us now? Yeah, so it, it does look like there is some work to do still to convince the global investor of the case for, for EM local bonds. As you say, we had basically a decade of no inflows. We've had good year-to-date performance and still no inflows um, coming into this market. When we ask uh, EM-dedicated investors at our conferences, they tend to say EM local bonds will be the best performer this year. When we asked recently uh, at a conference for more cross-asset investors, they said this will be the le- the asset class they least want to add into. So I, I think there is a bit of a divergence in the way that EM investors are already seeing local markets uh, and the ability to convince global investors. Now, what's going to bring the global investor back? I think part of that may do, uh, maybe due to the, the stage in the cycle. So if you've avoided um, a risky asset for 10 years and we are in a in a sort of choppy bit of the cycle with large Fed hiking, uh, people talking about a US recession uh, potentially later in the year, then you know is this the time when you're going to start really looking at a new asset class to add, um, which you've not been involved with some uh, so far. So there may be a bit of that. It's it's difficult to say, but it, it should imply that, you know, on the other side of, of you know, the, the beginning of the next cycle, that there could be uh, a decent pickup in demand. There's also likely just simply a time element to this. And uh, asset allocators obviously have a look back period. Uh, they will have seen EM local bonds since 2013 and even a bit before being generally negative returns and volatile. And that's not the kind of performance that really is going to attract those allocations. So I I think if you get a period where EM local markets can just sustain performance, I think you will see probably building interest rather than waning interest. And I think that is the silver lining in all of this is that, um, when we think about EM local markets, there's a point that, that we've talked about before. It's really not crowded on a global scale. I, the global investors have not really put money in this asset class. And that is likely to be something which, um, as we go through um, uh, what, what has been in the last year, probably will continue to be um, a challenging bit of the cycle. That's likely to help mitigate some of the uh, extent of the the problems that EM currencies can have, for example, and we've we've likely been seeing some of that already in play this year uh, in helping with that. So um, I think it might just take a bit of time to bring the global investor back, but there feels certainly like there is a lot of scope for that to happen. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thank you, Saad, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. 
This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content. For more information, including important disclosures, 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 25th of May, 2023.